Hey friend, when was the last time you listened to a podcast that told you everything you needed to know to break into or do your work in the field of continuing medical education and continuing education for health professionals? If it's been a hot minute, or like never, you've arrived at the right podcast. In fact, you've arrived at Right Medicine, a weekly podcast that explores best practices in creating content that connects with and educates health professionals. Are you feeling stuck in your work? Are you looking for inspiration from your peers? Are you looking for a way to break into this incredibly rewarding and intellectually satisfying field? Well, Right Medicine is here to offer you guidance and strategies as you navigate all phases of CNE and CE creation. Every Wednesday, join me, Alex Housen, a medical writer specializing in CME and CE content creation, as I host thoughtful, provocative, and rich conversations with guests about adult learning, content creation techniques, effective formats in CME and CE, and trends in healthcare that influence the type of content we create. Right Medicine is here to motivate you to learn and grow as a CME and CE professional wherever you are in the content creation process. If your work involves planning, designing, creating, delivering, or evaluating education for health professionals, this podcast is for you. Health professionals are hungry for meaningful, interactive, and immersive learning experiences in the education activities they choose for continuing medical education and continuing education credit. Enter Facilitation, a game changer in CME and CE that goes beyond content delivery and supports active learning with interaction, dialogue and exploration. This episode of Right Medicine unpacks perils of wisdom shared by Gwyn Wansborough. Gwyn is a facilitator and experienced designer who hosts and trains others to run effective online sessions. I've had the benefit of her facilitation myself as a participant in Breakthrough Facilitation in spring of 2023. In this episode, we talk about the role of facilitators in guiding group experiences and the importance of creating connection and meaning in online sessions. In short, The facilitator's job is to make it easy for a group to achieve an outcome, often by designing a process that helps the group reach a specific goal. Whether you're an educator, a learner, or simply have a curious mind, discover how facilitation is reshaping the landscape of online learning. Facilitation is more than just a method. It's a movement. Are you ready to be part of it? Come on in. Hello and welcome, Gwyn. Thank you so much, Alex. It's so great to be on this podcast. Oh, it's great to see you. And I should say that we're on very different time zones. I think we have eight or nine hours between us. I'm on the west coast of the US and you're over there in the European continent. In Barcelona, Spain. So yeah, nine hours ahead of you. Yeah, well, I'm glad that we were able to kind of make this happen. So please share with listeners a little bit about who you are and the work you do. Great. So, like you said, my name is Gwen Wansbro. I am a facilitator and an experienced designer. I spend a lot of time running live sessions on Zoom. So, not everyone probably knows exactly what a facilitator is. And I didn't know either until 
I discovered the world of facilitation. But a facilitator is someone who guides a group experience. So whether that's a meeting or a conference or an event, an all hands meeting, a course, it could be a facilitator can be also a a teacher as well. And I'm sure we'll get into some more of that. But I do call myself a facilitator. I am also a trainer. I train people in how to run really effective and engaging live online sessions. And I write a weekly newsletter. So I write a newsletter that's called The Quest. And it's called The Quest because three years ago, I, like many other people, switched from facilitating in-person groups to facilitating and leading groups online. And I was a big skeptic about what was possible online. I didn't think you could do the same kind of meaningful work as you did, you could do in person. And I started leading online sessions and discovering how much was actually possible in terms of creating connection and meaning and doing really purposeful work online. So I started the newsletter, The Quest, because I was on a quest myself to try to learn as much as I could about how to lead really exceptional live online experiences. And we're going to dig into that for sure, but I'm conscious of the words you're using, meaningful, experience, connect, purpose. These are all components of facilitation. How does facilitation differ from kind of traditional teaching methods or traditional group work? Yeah, that's a great question because there's lots of different ways we work with groups. So, you know, one one way could be lecturing, for example, you know, the the standard lectured format where somebody, an expert, presumably an expert in their field, is delivering content, you know, based on their expertise to to an audience. There's also teaching, you know, which is maybe different from lecturing in that there is a little bit more participation and implication or involvement of the learner in the learning process. And then there's facilitation and the facilitator really plays a very different role. It is a different role than strictly teaching and lecturing. So a facilitator's job is to make it easy for a group to achieve an outcome. And so this is why facilitators are usually hired to, you know, uh, create and design a process for a strategy meeting, for example, for, for a company. So a facilitator would say, okay, the, the group, the, the purpose and the aim of this group experience is to come out of a three day retreat with a strategy that they can then put into practice afterwards. And they would find out everything they could could about this group, who is in the group, what are the power dynamics of the group, to be able to then design a group process that would help the group get to an outcome. So that's kind of the traditional way that we see um, facilitators. It's really the, the, the making it easier for a group to achieve an outcome. So I'm hearing lots of things there actually that align very well with 
continuing education for health professionals, because in the sort of design of that education process or content, you know, we talk about in the continuing medical education, continuing education community about beginning with the end in mind. So beginning with a clear sense of, as you're describing, outcomes and what those could look like or need to look like. And you also talked about really getting to know your audience, getting to know what the power dynamics are in the group that you're working with. And while that's not necessarily quite the same in in the CME world, it certainly aligns with the idea of doing a needs assessment. Who are the learners? What do they need to know? What are their gaps in knowledge or practice is how we would kind of define that in, in CME. So I'm curious, how do you begin thinking about you know, getting to know the group that you're working with? I guess in a live context, maybe there are different considerations in an online, a live online context. Yeah. Yeah. It actually, when it comes to understanding your, the purpose and your audience, I would say it's actually very similar to in a live in-person setting to an online session. So I would always, I always start the, the process by defining what is the purpose of of the session. And I think probably not CME because you probably are more keyed into this, but so much meeting time is wasted because we don't have a clear idea of what the purpose is. So as a facilitator, that that is my my starting point is really understanding what is the, the purpose, what is the why of why are we getting together? Then there's the audience. So again, especially I would say certainly in in online experiences, but also in in person experiences, often with any kind of group experience, one of the pitfalls is that we aren't actually designing the experience for the people who are in the room. We might have an off-the-shelf program or training that we're teaching or you know, a, a kind of a slide deck or some content that we deliver, and it could be the same, regardless of who the audience is. In facilitation and in teaching and training, we really focus on who is the audience? Who are they? What is their, their background? What is motivating them to participate in the session? What is their expectation? Who are they to each other? And so understand, starting to understand some of this. So the power dynamics often are important to understand, especially in work settings, because there often are power dynamics. There's hierarchies that impact on a group's experience. In teaching education, it's slightly different. It might not be the power dynamic necessarily in terms of like that hierarchy that comes from a hierarchical kind of corporate setting. But it certainly is that there are a group of people who are coming together to learn something and they have, they may not, they may know each other. They might not, not know each other. Those are important things to know as you're kind of embarking on designing a group learning experience. So there's one last element, which is, um, so we've, we've talked about purpose. We've talked about the audience. And there's one last element that 
that as a facilitator, I pay a lot of attention to. And that is the transformation that I want for my audience. So it's the transformation being that people are starting in their current state and through whatever you are teaching or training or through that group experience, they're getting to a new and improved state. And so understanding that as a facilitator or as a teacher, instructor, trainer, what is, what is their current state and what is the, the, the new and improved state that you want to facilitate them getting to? You can't force them to get there, but you can facilitate the process of them getting to that new improved state when you understand what is the transformation that you want to create for your group. And I guess that speaks to, yeah, I was going to ask about the benefits of facilitation and and part of the the benefit is that transformation. And I'm going to ask a question next about how do you make that transformation happen? But I just wanted to pick up on your comment about hierarchies because, you know, one of the shifts in continuing Education for health professionals is very much a move toward interprofessional continuing education. So creating education by and for professions, you know, different professions within the healthcare space. And there very much are hierarchies within medicine, within nursing, within pharmacy and across these different disciplines as well. So it's it's interesting, you know, I, I do think those hierarchies are there. It's not something we talk about a lot in the CNE's uh, continuing education field, but it's certainly something to dig into. But going back to your point about transformation, how does that happen? How do you make that happen for groups? Because that's part of the experience, the experience of transformation. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, if you look at the field of experience design, for example, and, and one of the leading organizations in experience design is IDEO, who are very well known because they came up with the design thinking method and approach, which is, you know, draws from design principles and practices and it applies those principles to innovating, iterating quickly, coming up with new products, services, ideas, so solving social problems, you know, you name it. And it's very widely used in, in education. But IDEO also specializes in experience design. And that is the whole kind of premise of experience design revolves around this notion of, of transformation. And so, for example, so I teach a, a course on online facilitation and uh, you've actually taken the course. I have. And that's how we met. <laughs> and so in that course, what I aim to do, you know, there's a kind of like a, a larger purpose of taking the group on a transformation from wherever they are in their facilitator journey. So some people will be starting out. Some people will be potentially more experienced facilitators. We create a safe and supportive environment. So a psychologically safe space. And what I mean by that is that people start to feel like they are, they belong in the group, that they can express ideas, opinions, 
without being ridiculed or judged. And so there's a whole, you know, field of research around psychological safety and the importance in that in in really satisfying some of our deepest needs and desires as human beings when we are in a group setting of feeling like we belong, feeling like we can express ourselves, feeling like we are seen and heard in the group. And as a facilitator, and so just to give you the example of my course, what we do upfront is a lot of work around, first of all, you know, welcoming people, a welcoming tone into the course. So as soon as you sign up, you are, you get a a video message from me and you, you know, welcoming to, to the course. There's a lot of communication upfront with people to, to then also start to set expectations on what are the, you know, what are the values that are the course is based on and what are some of the expectations, you know, as a group, as we enter this, this experience. So that all happens even before the course even starts and the communication beforehand. Hopefully that then kind of starts to set the, to kind of create some fertile, fertile soil, if you will, for then the actual experience to start. And when the experience starts, it starts straight away from the very beginning, giving people a warm welcome, things like addressing people by their names, giving people an opportunity to start getting their voice heard straight away, to give people an opportunity to start engaging straight away. So how I do that is just to give you a very concrete example in an online setting, I will have a message in the waiting room as people join the Zoom room. You know, the session will be starting shortly. I might put an inspirational quote or something like that there. So people are starting to, you know, you're starting to pique people's curiosity. They join the session and they they get a warm welcome into the session. Welcome, you know, I'm so and so and you know, really glad you're here. And straight away, a prompt question in the chat. And that prompt question is usually kind of three things. One, you know, your name, maybe where you're calling in from. I work with a lot of international groups. So it's always just amazing to see, you know, how many people are able to, you know, join into to the Zoom call. And then there's usually one more question that invites people to reveal something about themselves to the group. A very small risk, but a an invitation to each of the people in the in the group. And this in a live session, it could be just going around, you know, and sharing the answers to a, a prompt question. In an in an online session, it could be putting the answers in the group in the chat. But it could be anything. And it and usually that that question is connected to the purpose of the session. So if I'm teaching online facilitation, I might ask people, you know, what is one, one thing that you love about the work that you do? It's quite open. It's a question that everyone can answer that just starts to give people an opportunity to reveal a little something about themselves. 
So that is all part. I, I'm, I'm kind of going into a little bit of granular, granular detail because all of those elements of especially the start of a group experience are really fundamental in creating that safety. The other thing that that, that prompt accomplishes is that it starts to get all the voices in the group. And this is, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about online live experiences is because we actually have a lot of tools at our dis- at our disposal now that help people whether they're introverts, whether they're extroverts, whether they're ambiverts, whether they're shy, whether they prefer text communication, whether they can prefer verbal communication, but it gives everyone you know, gives us more options to then start hearing, getting all of the voices heard. And when you get all the voices heard from the beginning, you are more likely to have more interaction and engagement throughout your session. That I really appreciate that you you were so granular in your description of the kind of early part of an online experience with you. Because, well, certainly from my own experience of doing your course, uh, Breakthrough Facilitation, the two things that really, that were very powerful right from the get-go were the onboarding, because the communication was so clear and the next steps, and this the onboarding was spread over, I don't know, seven days, something like that. You know, and there was an action for me to take with each email that I received as part of that onboarding process. And I think that's a really great model for people who are thinking about designing online events. And second, that idea, that practice of getting voices in the room early is really, really powerful. And it really kind of turns the table in terms of who's participating in this, in this learning experience. It, I think it's the one thing that, certainly from my experience, really kind of signals loud and clear that you are not going to deliver content for 60 minutes in this live online event, I'm going to have to do a lot of work, you know, cognitive work and uh, possibly emotional work as well. And certainly group work. And that all kind of contributes to the learning, the learning experience. And so that kind of opens up the question of, and I do want to go back to psychological safety, because we talked about this actually on the podcast, I think in episode 26 with Dina Silver in terms of designing health education for professionals who work with people in the LBGTQ plus community and the challenges that health professionals face and that patients in those communities face in terms of of communication. This episode of Right Medicine is brought to you by Right CME Pro a membership-driven community that provides skills, scaffolding, and support for medical writers who want to create CME content with confidence. Write CME Pro gives you access to expert perspectives to help you build your CME writing skills, a portfolio accelerator to hold space so that you can create stunning samples to show your prospects, group coaching to help you build foundational and expert knowledge in CME, and more. Write CME Pro is a community for people like you who are ready to grow their CME writing niche or niche, if that's how you say it. See the show notes for more details. So 
I did want to pick up on what you were talking about in relation to psychological safety. What is that? How do you how do you establish that? You've talked about some of the things that lead up to or you know help to create a container for psychological safety, but are there other things that you can that facilitators can do, especially when the group experience is focused on something that p- perhaps might be very sensitive or a topic they don't want to engage with but have to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I've been, you know, we've been talking a little bit about what you, you know, just different tactics almost of like what you can do, some of the onboarding and then what happens immediately when a, when, when people come into the session and how you can, you know, kind of create those conditions for psychological, for people to feel a sense of, of psychological safety. Obviously every group is different. So there are groups that will very easily, you know, kind of fall into, they, they're, they will, feel safer more quickly and more easily. There are other groups for whom it is you are working with, you could be working with populations that have experienced trauma, experienced exclusion. And so that is, there's a whole, in those kinds of groups, you really want to make sure that you, you know, you, you, you pay a lot of attention to the way that you're building psychological safety. I I think what there's there's kind of two things when it comes to psychological psychological safety that I'm conscious of when I facilitate groups. One are the things that I'm doing. So, you know, the email that I'm sending, the, you know, the invitations, the putting some music on maybe when people come into my online sessions or if you're in a live setting, you know, how can you create the physical space that is a welcoming space for people to come into. Those are kind of like some tactical things. Mm-hmm. On the other side, there is who you are as the person who is leading the group. So again, it is what you're, what you say and what you do help to build trust. How you are as, you know, how you show up as a, as an instructor, as a teacher, as a facilitator, communicate just as much and probably even more. So just to give you an example, there's research that demonstrates that people coming into a group session are immediately starting to scan for information that will tell them three things. One, do they belong in the group? Two, can they trust you as a facilitator? And three, are they going to get anything valuable out of being in, in your session or your class or your training program? And those are often unspoken and they're often subconscious. So we don't even realize that we are looking at the way that the instructor is addressing us. So that's why things like greeting people by their names is a very small detail, but it tells it's the, the message that you're sending is that I see you and, and you're important to me. I can, you know, and that per, and it makes the person feel seen and heard and it, and it contributes to the trust and the sense of belonging in the group. So 
the other things in terms of like the being of the facilitator, how you show up in the group. And it's, and it's difficult because sometimes nerves can take over. You know, if you're running a, running a course, running a training, running a session, but the energy and then the enthusiasm that you bring to your session and the passion for what you teach is also something that people pick up on very quickly. And the other thing that I was going to, I was going to say one more thing, which was, um, Oh, okay. Very important. This is where, this is where I was going to, where I was going to go is the power of showing some kind of vulnerability yourself as the person who is leading, whether it's a learning experience or whether it's a workshop, whatever kind of a group experience it is, the way that you also can be open with a group about your own struggles and the and the way that you learned whatever it is that you're teaching and communicating that with the group opens up the field of for people to to what you're communicating is that it is nor it's you're normalizing the the process of making mistakes learning from mistakes you are recognizing that you weren't always the expert in your field that you are today, that you also embarked on your own journey and probably made a lot of mistakes, learned a ton along the way to get to where you are today. And that's one of the things I think in just in in education in general, I think is under recognized is that the power of the teacher sharing their own journey, their own struggles with their students and learners, which becomes very powerful because it makes it possible for people to then kind of take down their guard a little bit. And again, it's it's kind of removing that sense of like, I'm going to be judged if I don't do something right. And I, you know, I'm looking at the instructor or the teacher, and obviously they're the expert in their field. And the gap between the expert and the learner then becomes so big that it's difficult for the learner to relate to the instructor. And so when you can kind of lean into, and this is another kind of principle of facilitation, is just the authenticity that you bring as the person leading the group. Sometimes that means acknowledging that you don't actually have the answer to the questions that are that are arising or that sometimes that means that you can accept the fact that maybe you've designed a process and actually you get to a point where you think where you where it's it's obvious that the group wants to go in a different direction and uh, your call in the as a facilitator at that time at that point is you know is it on purpose and it, you know if it's if it's kind of fulfilling the purpose i had my idea of the direction i wanted it to go in but actually the group is telling me another thing and it's the humility that you have as a facilitator to then say you know what you're right let's go you know in a, in 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 the direction that you want it to t- to go in this is so valuable gwen you know i'm thinking as you were talking about the things that you do in order to create that welcoming space I and and the challenges of not doing that 
or the kind of impact of not doing that for, for learners, for participants. I, you know, I was feeling that sense of weight when I've been in Zoom meetings and nobody's making eye contact. You know, a lot of the cameras are off, the facilitator, the person leading the meeting, the course, the whatever it is, is not yet present. And you do immediately get that sense of, ah, this is going to be a long 45 minutes, 60, 60 minutes. <laughs> in contrast to what you're talking about, and certainly my experience of breakthrough facilitation. The second thing is, you know, that, that sense of vulnerability and authenticity. You know, a lot of health professionals write about this experience either in, as learners in evaluation forms at the end of activities where faculty or whoever's leading the education event have actually been vulnerable. They, they, they do respond to that. Absolutely. And a lot of, I guess, physicians mostly, but nurses too, have written about the power of vulnerability as a, a, a learner in, in the healthcare space. So I, I love that you kind of brought that up. And then the third thing is this very much, what you're describing very much takes people away from content delivery mode, which is very much where many of us are in the CME, CE space. Expert faculty are contracted as part of an education program or activity to deliver the content in either a, a, an in-person or a live online context. And I think the things that you're talking about, this is where the things that you're talking about could really make such a difference to education for health professionals, because we're still very much stuck in content mode, content delivery mode. How do we get out of it? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, well, the first thing, you know, is, is that acknowledge, you know, the, the recognition that it is, there is something that is content delivery mode. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the health professionals are not the only ones who are in that mode. Most of us are still in content delivery mode. So, and I, I'm often asked, you know, I have so much content that I, I want to deliver and that I need to deliver. I don't have time for, you know, fun icebreakers and breakout groups and, you know, all that kind of stuff in, in, for example, live online sessions. And it becomes this kind of like, almost like, oh, it's either content delivery or it's lots of fun and engaging and interaction. And I, to, to that, I would say it's not an either or it's, there are con, there are times where you need to deliver content. You know, you are delivering a training program or you're delivering a course. Part of that is part of the student expectation is that you are giving them content that they, they need to learn. But it is a both and. So I would just, in my experience, and I think the, re the research shows, and particularly this is, this is why so much of the online delivery is so exhausting for people is that it is just cognitive overload. You cannot, yeah. people are not wired to spend that much time in front of a screen and be able to absorb. So I think that's the first thing, just the first accept the the first acceptance, the first stage of acceptance and moving away from content delivery is just accepting the fact all the research shows that people cannot absorb that much content when it is just kind of being delivered 
at them. So that is the, that's, that's one thing. The second thing is, you know, with that acceptance, looking at how can I, if you, if it's really that you do have to deliver content, how can you deliver the content in a more interactive way? I advocate for also just wrapping this thinking about these kind of facilitation techniques as things that you can wrap around content so that the content is more likely to reach, you know, the learner at the end of the day. And that's really as as teachers, as instructors, as, you know, healthcare professionals who are in the CME space, I would imagine is is really your 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 goal and your your mission as a as an instructor. So there are so I don't know how much detail we want to get into on exactly, you know, some of the more specific how how do you make content more interactive and engaging or what what are some of those things? I I don't know if that's where we want to go or we want to go somewhere else. Yeah, well maybe if, if there's time for a couple of examples, I think that would be really helpful. Okay. Great. So just to give an example from my own experience. So, you know, again, I do a lot of training in, in facilitation and now most of my focus is on, on leading live online experiences. I used to have big slide decks, you know, of content that I wanted to, I I really wanted to share. There's so much content I wanted to share about, you know, effective facilitation and all the facilitation principles and practices. And my, I used to kind of go to, you know, slide decks, a lot of talking, continuous talking. And then I would launch a question to the group and would not hear one single person piping up, you know, it's the classic kind of hearing crickets. Yeah, I think we've all been there. (laughs) <laughs> that awkward silence. And it's kind of, what do I do now? <laughs> Where do I go from here? And that is the classic sign that once you kind of get to that point, it is often, unfortunately, too late to kind of backtrack. So what I then started doing in terms of like designing the sessions, first of all, rule of thumb, I will never deliver more than three, maximum five minutes of content at a time. So that is the, uh, particularly online, in person, it's maybe a little longer than that. But as a practice, you want to be switching things up on a regular basis. That is how you get into a pacing of, you know, people are constantly finding things. There's, you know, constantly something that is hooking their attention and that they are, you know, kind of being alerted to the fact that there's a change, there's something new. That is really how people learn and how you kind of hold and keep their attention. Online, it's very difficult that people will spend, will, will pay attention for more than five minutes at a time. That's one thing, three to like kind of three to five minute chunks. So when I get to designing my sessions, I will design the content in those three to five minute chunks and then leave a gap in between. And the gap in between is the opportunity for interaction. So maybe it's a poll. 
Maybe it's a word cloud Mm -hmm. and maybe it's a, you know, breakout group, but there is always something that is happening kind of in between those three to five minute content pieces that on the one hand, the other thing is to think about how you can, you know, we're talking about adult education, you know, which is very different than school aged mm-hmm. population education. And with, with adult education, you know that people are coming in with life experience. A lot of them are coming in with professional experience. A lot of them are coming in with a lot of different ways that they actually are already understanding the content. And as a facilitator, as a trainer, one of the things that I try to do is connect experience to the content because that is what starts to make it more meaningful for the group when they can actually then try to start to process the content through the lens of their experience. So one kind of approach that I use is ask, then tell. So I ask the group, you know, what are your biggest challenges when it comes to, in my case, facilitating online groups? People have their cameras off. It's very difficult to engage, you know, people, especially the quiet, you know, members of the group. I don't know if people are paying attention. I don't, you know, all of these different things. Jumping off from that, then I can go into the content pieces. Mm. So it it just helps to contextualize and it helps to make it relevant and meaningful to to the to the group. And it and it's a way of teaching content, but that is being drawn from the experience. And I fa- I've, I realized once I started doing that that people were a paying more attention because you know they want to <laughs> they want to to share their experiences and and b they were the content was landing in a much different way than if i had just blown through you know 20 slides in 15 minutes yeah it's really you know on the other end of of that you know as a participant it's really powerful to hear that the facilitator is talking about something that is a real problem for you in the moment. And yes, I immediately pay attention because I want, I want a solution to this problem and I want to know how I can, how I can solve whatever's in front of me. And the other part of that, at least for me, that I find really powerful is, you know, in that whole kind of experiential learning is that often there is reassurance and affirmation that I actually know how to do something I just haven't been thinking about the problem with a particular lens or I've been missing an action step that will help me put into practice what I already know. That's is that something that you see in in the work that you do? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that and that goes back to, you know, a long line of research around how adults learn effectively, you know, and it's and again it's very different than school age education, which is, you know, people are just in a very different stage of life and have uh, different kinds of life experiences that they can bring into the learning process. So this is where, you know, experiential learning comes in and, and people like John Dewey, 
Yes. And Jack Mesro, you know, who is a sociologist who's a was a professor at Columbia University who did so much research around how adults learn and David Kolb and the experiential learning cycle. So learning through experience, then reflection, commitment, and taking action. I'm conscious of our time because we're we've we've kind of run over a little bit. Do we have time for one more question, which is a very open question? <laughs> sure. I, I, I'm absolutely fine for time. So you tell me. Yeah. And so, you know, I think, you know, I was going to ask a question about how you surface the wisdom of the group, but I think we've, I think we've kind of, we've really addressed that for people who are working in the education space, who are putting together continuing education space, who are putting together programs and activities to educate health professions, health professionals who who are thinking about moving away from this didactic approach to teaching and learning and really trying to work with the live online, the virtual environment, but feel, feel there are too many barriers to entry. They don't really know where to start. What would you say to somebody who's in that, who's in that position, who really wants to try something new and pull together a program or an activity that is much more focused on the experience of learning than in content delivery? With the caveat that these things don't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, first of all, I would say a hundred percent worth moving in that direction. And that facilitation is a lot of things. It's a, it's a little bit um, of, uh, there's, you know, ask any facilitator for a definition of a facilitator, and you will probably get a bunch of different definitions. But it's, it's all to say is, is that facilitation, in, from, from my point of view, is as much a set of, of kind of capacities that you have as a person as it is also a mindset, a mindset of, of seeing yourself. And I think you were the one who said this to me and it stuck with me of, you know, kind of moving away. You, you don't necessarily need to be the person who is, you know, constantly responsible for the, the group process. You can move into a role of being a knowledgeable guide. So there is a role for that expertise, the experience that you as, as uh, CME professionals bring to, to the learning experience. That is why you do what you do. And there is a way of doing that in a way that you are, you are really guiding people through a process, just like a guide would take you up over the mountain top. You know, they, you need a guide because they know the way and they've got expertise that you don't have. But along the way, you're almost like on your own journey. You know, you're discovering new things, you're connecting with people along the way. And so that is what kind of brings the whole, the richness into the group learning experience. I would say also, you know, there's, there are people who aren't as potentially like kind of comfortable with the, with, uh, uh, just before I go there, 
Facilitation is also a continuum. So you can be a lecturer and you can add some facilitation into your lecturing. You can throw out a question. You can, you know, kind of have more, a little bit more of a a back and forth, you know, you can kind of draw your audience into, into your lecturing. You can be a facilitative teacher and instructor. So you might be teaching at times and you might be facilitating at times. So facilitating a, a, a group reflection on something that they have just learned where you're not in the role of teaching them what they just learned. You are the, in the role of the facilitator. Let's talk about what you, what you just experienced and what did you learn from that experience? How can you apply that to your role as a, as a healthcare professional? Just to give you an example. The other piece of advice is just to, to start small. You don't have to, you know, reinvent everything. Facilitation is almost like little, like a little bit of magic fairy dust that you can sprinkle in. You know, you can start maybe just try starting with an opening prompt question. Just get everybody's voices in the group and see how that lands. You know, see how just start to like experiment with maybe, you know, low risk things. If that's if, if you know, changing the whole thing is feels like a little scary and daunting. Just try little steps, little experiments here and there and see how the group reacts and then learn from that and experiment uh, a little more, you know, and, and that's, that's really how I started. And you, as you kind of experiment, I feel so passionate about facilitation that I can say that you will start to see results. It's not difficult to start seeing small results very quickly and you will grow your confidence as a facilitator. And facilitation is very much a muscle that the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets, the more comfortable you are, and the more you can bring it into your groups. You know, I've been finding that uh, even in my own teaching since since taking your your course in, in April. Uh, I, I love that image of, of sprinkling uh, some magic dust, but just trying little things can make such a huge difference to how the group feels, how receptive they are, how comfortable they are, and I think how you as a facilitator feel in terms of you know building confidence, which is such a huge foundation for anything that we that we do. Gwen, how can people find you? So they can find me online. I have a website. It's uh, GwenWansboro.com. That's kind of my online home. From there, you can find my weekly newsletter, free weekly newsletter that's called The Quest that goes out every Monday with actionable tips and resources on facilitation and experience design. You can find me on LinkedIn at Gwen Wansbro, on Twitter at Gwen Wans. And those are... the main platforms that I am on right now. And you do have uh, an, another cohort of your course, Breakthrough Facilitation, coming up soon. I do, yes. And so cohort five will be running from September the 26th to October the 26th. It's a five-week live online immersive course. And you learn about how to 
become a really exceptional facilitator by experiencing uh, exceptional facilitation and by learning with a group of motivated, committed peers who are on a similar journey to you. So it's the kind of cohort-based course model. And uh, that will be starting on September 28th. And if you sign up for my newsletter, you will get all the information, including including uh, early bird you know, discounts and invites to free events. And you can also find out more about the course at breakthrough-facilitation.com. And we'll make sure to have links to all of the things that you just mentioned in the show notes for easy access for listeners. Gwen Wansbro, facilitator extraordinaire. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and insights with listeners of Right Madison. Thank you so much for having me on the on the podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed this uh, conversation and it's just been uh, really great also to hear your experience as someone who is moving uh, further into your facilitator journey. So thanks for sharing that as well. Yeah, I know you're welcome. I loved our conversation. If you'd like to connect with me or today's guest or access any of the resources we talked about, check out the show notes for this episode. They're on my website where you'll also find additional resources. Find the show notes at alexhausen.com forward slash write W-R-I-T-E dash medicine dash podcast. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the Write Medicine newsletter where you'll find bi-weekly tips, tools and resources to help you create continuing medical education content with confidence. And thank you for listening today. Word of mouth is the most meaningful way we can help listeners find us and reach a wider audience. So please share this episode with a friend, a colleague or a client who might find the podcast helpful. And if you enjoy listening to the podcast, please write a favourable review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or share your testimonial on the dedicated testimonial link, which is also in the show notes.